everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the Food and Wine Variety Show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have a terrific show today, but first I have to do a Ukraine rant because Mm -hmm. I'm very ticked off. There's not a lot we can do here except donate money to the right causes, etc., but there is one other thing we can do. Because while a lot of American companies have cut off business with Russia, some um, are rumored to still be doing business there because their business is so robust. Um, I sent emails last night to Burger King, McDonald's, and uh, Pepsi. Um, They may have pulled the plug already. I don't know. I don't think so. And there are other American companies that just can't quite let go of the money to try and help squeeze Russia because I think that's the only thing that's going to do it. So... Do your research, find the companies that are still operating there, and tell them to get the hell out and Mm -hmm. stay out, okay? And somebody take care of Putin for us, please. Now, having said that, we have a great show. Um, (laughs) That has nothing to do with it, Yeah, well, it's it's okay. Whatever. Mitch Berliner from Central Farm Markets is going to join us uh, shortly. Our drink segment's great. Uh, St. Patrick's Day is just around the corner, and so we've got a live report and a cross-continental tasting from the Emerald Isle. We're going to be joined by Elaine Larkin, who's the marketing manager UK for Grace O'Malley Whiskey and Proclamation, uh, Ireland's premium whiskey and spirits brand. So stay. But not guess, only that, we'll be it getting is, spirited. It is uh, International Women's Day, Day coming, and it's uh, National Women's Month. And Grace O'Malley has an amazing, amazing story. So Elaine's going to tell us. And our that. house every day is Women's Day, as so. it should be. Mm-hmm. My uh, coming to Ford's Theater on March 19th, Grace is a new musical from Nolan Williams, uh, taking a look at the rarely told history of African American culinary tradition, which has been a real theme on this show, actually. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is faced by black-owned businesses. It's got rousing jazz and R&B and, um, uh, uh, temp- uh, tempos throughout the show. Um, and we have there's some great dance numbers. Uh, Robert Barry Fleming, who's a choreographer, is going to join us to talk about the show. And I can't wait because I can't, wait. I know. I can't figure out how choreographers choreograph. So <laughs> I, I can't even spell choreograph. <laughs> uh, the fifth annual Fairfax uh, uh, City Restaurant Week is coming. It starts tomorrow. It runs through the 14th. And if, if you're not familiar with all the offering, really the diverse offering in Fairfax City, you're missing something. Uh, so Kathleen Paley, who's chair of the Fairfax City Economic Development Authority, that's a big title, Kathleen, uh, joins <laughs> us with all mouthful. the details. All the details. Yeah. And um, I think we all know at times finding a really good cocktail can be murder. And I mean murder. <laughs> so Mixology and Murder is a new crime-themed cocktail book by... Kia Sonderaker and um, yeah, um, Kiara. Is it, is it Kira or Kiara? Tell me. Oh, she's on mute. It is Kiara. All right, I yeah. did it wrong. Kiara Sonderaker. Um, and um, I always thought a cocktail themed crime was a like a so so gin and tonic for twenty five bucks. But her <laughs> book has a lot more to say about it. So we're going to hear from her Mixology too. Mixology and murder. Yeah, okay. murder. Okay. All right. So Mitch. Berliner, hey Mitch, how are Central you? Central Farm Markets. Tell us about what's going on there, and I understand you guys are doing something to help out the people in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So we'll start with that because that's more important than just about anything anybody's got to say. Mm-hmm. First, I'm amen. into your comments about Ukraine, and um, I'm into your comments about every day in my life is Women's Day. So <laughs> now let's talk what we're doing about Ukraine. Um, our friend. A regular patron of the Bethesda Central Farm Market and a big fan and humanitarian, Jose Andreas, Mm -hmm. most everybody knows, is over at the border in Poland and Ukraine. And we're holding a fundraiser for the next few weeks, and we're asking people to throw in checks, cash. We have several boxes around the market, and the Central Farm Markets are going to match dollar for dollar up to $5,000, and we can get that money right over there to help the refugees, which we hope is a temporary situation because they want to go back to where they belong. Well, and Mitch, so, um, can people donate online if they can't make it to the market? Sure. They can just go to uh, – it, it, we won't know about the match, but they could certainly go to uh, the World Central 
Kitchen mm-hmm. um, website, and uh, there's all kinds of ways to donate there. But if they come to the market, they'll double their gift. Great. Um, so Amazing. So that's that. And okay. then I'm also going to talk about, uh, you, you read, uh, Nikki, you read uh, Debbie Does a Fantastic Weekly E-Blast. Yep. And, um, and my, by the way, if everybody signs up on our website, you can be privy to that. And we're talking about getting ready with the greenhouses and the tomatoes. And people want to know, well, how do they pollinate if it's in the greenhouse? And there's a big article that Debbie did. And it's simple. The bees are brought in to pollinate the tomatoes and other things. Mm-hmm. And they're busy doing it now. So we will have tomatoes in a matter of weeks. You know, I always tomatoes. thought you did that so, personally. So I'm glad to hear it's actually that's bees. disgusting. <laughs> but, but, nope. Actually, it can be done by people. Uh-huh. It, sometimes it actually is where they take the pollen and the, between male and the female. And they actually do. But bees do a better job. See, and they're probably cheaper. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> so anyway. All right. Now, I'll just say the last thing is don't forget about St. Patty's Day. Mm-hmm. We have lots of brisket, Irish soda bread cakes. Yum. We have cookies in the shape of shamrocks. Mm-hmm. So come on by the next few weeks to Central Farm Markets. You can go on our website to find the location, centralfarmmarkets.com. We have two year-round markets that are open now, downtown Bethesda on the Bethesda Elementary School parking lot and George Marshall High School parking lot right near Tyson's Corner. Right. And so Mitch, just remind the- everybody how many vendors are at each market. What's our count these days? Sure. We're probably close to 25, 30 in uh, Nova Central Farm Market. Mm-hmm. And we have 55 farmers mar- wow. Fifty-five at our Bethesda. And that's in the winter. We will have right. more in the next couple of weeks. Great. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks so much. All right. Let's talk. Thank you. Well, wait, have a before day. you too. Uh, before we get into it, um, please go to the list are you on it.com. We have links to all the fundraisers going on uh, in the DC metro area, area of restaurants, bars, etc., are all doing fundraisers uh, for Ukraine right now. So, and they'll keep coming. I just got another one. Uh, while we were sitting here. So uh, just keep your eyes open and we'll keep a running list of all the ways that you can help support financially for what's going on uh, in Ukraine right now. What she said. Okay. All right, let's t- Elaine Larkin. Let's get From boozy. Grace O'Malley Whiskey and Proclamation. Happy almost St. Patrick's Day. Tell us, give us a little bit of background on Grace O'Malley. So I think Nikki is a big fan of uh, Grace O'Malley, as am I. That's what scares me. (laughs) So she was an incredibly inspirational um, Irish woman, Mm -hmm. uh, born in 1530, so a little while ago. Um, She was. I think I went to high school with her. Um, She. (laughs) um, So yeah, she she was born in 1530 into a pirating family. Mm -hmm. Um, Being a girl, she uh, was told by her dad when she she wanted to go out and pirate with him he said oh, i'm afraid your hair is going to get caught in the rigging you can't go out so um she went off and cut off all her hair and stowed herself on the ship and popped out at the age of 11 i'm here i'm ready to pirate um and following on from that she ended up taking over the family business um and controlling so was the, the family wait was the family business pirating so she took over right she took over yeah so yeah, her dad was a pirate. They also owned land as well, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of their income came from pirating. Um, <laughs> so she had a business card um, that said Grace O'Malley, comma pirate. Yes, yeah, something nice. like that. Yeah. yeah, she started that business plan when she was eleven. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then she went on to marry a man called Donald O'Flaherty, mm-hmm. um, who she learned a bit about politics from him. Um, and she taught him a little bit of pirating, but unfortunately he wasn't quite as fierce as her and he was murdered by a rival clan. So Mm -hmm. Grace waged war upon them and uh, took back everything from them. Um, uh, So yeah, so she was was quite the woman. And one of my favorite stories about Grace is when she gave birth on the ship. Um, An hour after she gave birth, she was surrounded by other pirates um, so she wrapped the baby up in a sling, slung him on her back, 
rallied the troops and ended up catch, capturing those pirates that had uh, surrounded her huh. um, an hour after giving birth. So I think, you know, we can say she's a pretty strong woman. She's strong and really inspirational. And she was the inspiration for uh, this line that you guys have created. So tell us just a little bit about it. And what are we going to be tasting first? Because I got three different ones in front of me. Yes. So I think we'll start with the whiskey, if that's okay. Yeah, which and one? The Grace O'Malley blended. Okay. If you want to start with that. Sure. So what's very interesting about this is the 46% malt contact content, which is quite unusual for an Irish whiskey. Um, do you want to try it before I talk you through it? No, no, just talk, talk, talk about it quickly. I'm, I'm the uh, experiment yeah. here. Hold on okay. a Okay, and we then um, <laughs> we have about, about 30 seconds. So tell us quickly okay. what we're going to taste Very here. smooth. Okay, uh, we are a multi-award winning whiskey. We have um, okay. a double gold at the San Francisco World Spirits Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know there's quality in there. Um, we have our master blender, Paul Carries, mm. has been working with us and has the blend is made with uh, a blend of French oak, bourbon, and rum, and also virgin oak in there as well. Excellent. Okay, so when we come back to you, we'll talk a little bit about Paul, because I talked to Paul, and he is originally a winemaker, and now he's played in the distillery, which I think is really cool. Oh, yeah. So um, we'll come back to you in a bit. All Thanks right. so much. So, right. you know, across actually many years, our show has shown a bright light on black-owned businesses Restaurants, distilleries, breweries, bakers, and more that mm-hmm. uh, makers often often go unnoticed <laughs> by uh, mainstream media and diners. But there's a rousing new musical coming to Ford's Theater. Uh, uh, it's called Grace. It's by uh, Nolan Williams, who is a Nolan Williams Jr. No, yes, he's a junior. Mm-hmm. Nolan Williams. But it takes a look at the the really often not told history of African American culinary tradition in this country and the challenges that Black owned businesses face. The show's choreographer is with us. He's Robert Barry Fleming, and he is going to tell us about what I think is the hardest part, and that is choreographing a show like this when it's about food. Right. Well, it's about family and culture. So, hey, Robert, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about you because you have quite a resume and how you got involved in this project. Sure. Uh, I currently serve as the executive artistic director of Actors Theatre of Louisville. Um, I met Nolan Williams Jr. about uh, six years ago. And uh, when I was working at Arena Stage as their director of artistic programming, he had a project uh, with a number of songs that he was thinking of as a review. And the minute that I heard these songs, I recognized that Nolan was a singular talent. He's a um, uh, an artist whose music encompasses everything from um, shades of Bernstein to Sondheim to uh, the traditional church to R&B. He is, uh, the music is so central to how this narrative about African-American foodways have um, influenced the world and uh, shape what the country that we live in is. Mm-hmm. And as you described, it's uh, uh, often an untold story about uh, the uh, culinary tradition of these caterers uh, and his story centered around that, but it's now this beautiful uh, musical written by him and Pulitzer Prize uh, uh, nominated uh, writer Nicole Salter mm-hmm. um, that captures a day in the life of the Mittens, a Philadelphia family who gather to mourn the loss of their matriarch and kind of deal with the future of their family restaurant in this a gentrified neighborhood that is changing uh, and ever transforming. And uh, it's heartfelt, it is hopeful, uh, timely, and um, a real honor to be the director choreographer of the project. Okay, Robert, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, for those who don't know, we want to talk about what that means and how you took um, Nolan's vision and executed it via dance, because That's no easy feat. Uh, This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. Okay, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Um, We're talking with Robert Barry Fleming, who's the uh, choreographer for a new show called Grace, coming or opening, debuting at Ford's Theater here. March 19th. March 19th. Mm -hmm. And the the story was inspired by a book, really a sociological study, that W.E.B. Du Bois did about black people who had migrated north from the South to Philadelphia after the Civil War, and he was curious about what was happening when they settled in the North, and within the book there's a section about prominent caterers and cooks and all of that, and that's where 
That is the font from which all of this, uh, I guess, originated. Uh, so how do you take something like that and turn it into a musical? Well, you know, it, it's uh, interesting because music like food are um, part of the vocabulary of uh, 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 Af the African diaspora and how we communicate about um, all the things about our ever transforming existence as human beings. So it's actually quite intuitive. And as um, the party who's been um, graced, no pun and right. pun intended, right. uh, with the opportunity to direct this work and uh, uh, realize it on the stage, we've just really kind of dug into the tradition. There's a great, um, maybe some of you saw High on the Hog with yep. the, yeah. by uh, culinary historian Jessica B. Harris, who's mm -hmm. really kind of brought that to the fore of uh, our nation's consciousness about how deeply this goes back to uh, those who um, fed our, our presidents and continue to uh, uh, tell the story of enslaved people looking for a way to um, fully realize their lives. So we just take this work that is inspired by Nolan's extraordinary music Mm -hmm. and um, uh, began to shape a story around that. And it's been in development probably for about eight years. I came to it about six years in. And um, it, it's been a great joy to finally have this moment where we're getting to realize it uh, in, in its world premiere. Well, so how did you, how did you choreograph it? I mean, how did you work with the actors? What was the vision of, I mean, are we looking yeah. at lots of dance? You know, we just watched the You're new not, West. Actually, we just watched the new West Side. Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. It's based, yeah, it's based very, yeah, and that's why I keep saying I'm the director choreographer. The right. movement is a, a, a piece of the whole, but it is not a dance show. It is, right. a, it's really based in the kind of deep uh, tradition of kind of what you might get from Leonard Bernstein, from Sondheim, from uh, Mighty Clouds of Joy mm -hmm. to Wynton Marsalis. Mm. It's like a rich um, panoply of great music, um, great singing. It has operatic overtones. If you think of uh, Porgy and Bess meets, you know, a Beyonce video. Okay. It's like it's full. It's full of really rich, beautiful imagery. And there's a big central a visual metaphor of um, a mural that was done. And in that mural, you see the whole tradition all the way back to uh, uh, the beginnings of this country, uh, mm -hmm. right up until today of uh, matriarchal uh, leadership, as well as the great men who uh, revolutionized the food traditions in the country. So it's um, it's deeply rooted in a, a, a that narrative. Um, and, and there is movement that uh, happens literally on the stage, but also within the music itself, um, just uh, hitting those tones that resonate um, uh, and have resonated and kind of been the, the narrative uh, soundscape of this country for hundreds and hundreds of years. All right. Well, so there are no big Hollywood dance numbers in it, but as a choreographer, I, I, you know, we were talking about this last night because we did just watch the new West Side Story and blew us away. <laughs> Sobbed our way through the new West Side well, Story. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> I like cry it. that much. I do, I cried everything. Except right now. Right. No, but <laughs> your craft in particular, is, before video made it easy to for you, for a choreographer, for example, to sort of record, you know, I want him to move this way and I want him to do that. You know, a lyricist can write down words, um, you know, music, notes can be written down, the ideas for notes, but how do you, you know, for, for these more modest dance moves, or, or a, a bigger dance production, how do you create something and, and remember what the hell you're doing? In other words, I had this idea 20 minutes ago, and now we're doing this whole number, and I want these things done in sequence. How do you do that? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, just before we started this, I set up a, a piece on the Louisville Ballet, which, you know, there you have dancers who have that kind of vocabulary. Right. Um, and I did that just before we did this. And it's so interesting that the processes are still very much the same. It starts with what is it you really want to say? Um, uh, most of my choreography comes out of a, a narrative base as a theater artist. Uh, it's always about what's the story you want to tell. And, it, you know, there's certain kind of thematic things that are in that and certain kind of motifs that may be articulated through certain kind of gesture. Um, and that alchemy of hearing what that music is, how that inspires and those ideas inspire, 
are part of what just kind of makes the body move as you have um, that kind of a thing and you do it from the outside in, the inside out. And before you know it, when you're working with great collaborators, you're telling that story through, you know, the body and mm -hmm. uh, that figure moving through space and proximity to other bodies. It remains uh, a very human kind of experience, just like uh, a conversation like we're having where the ideas respond and, um, you know, get inspired by uh, the idea of the body or the thought or the spirit or the emotion that is kind of uh in there and it just starts to take its own shape and we use video we use uh, certain kinds of ways of scribing to kind of maintain the useful ideas and let go of the ones that are um sure. only a pathway to the next better idea i'm sort of curious um what is the time frame of the show does it give us like a are we in today are we in what is the time frame of the 30s? show it's a great question it's it happens in the now Okay. Uh, and it's a day in the life. So it starts at eight in the morning and ends with the actual um, homegoing service, the celebration of life at the end of uh, that day with the mm -hmm. family. But in African cosmology, there's not the same linear sense in uh, a European culture where the past is the past and the future is the future and the present is the present. We, one thinks of in African cosmology, all of that's happening simultaneously and mm -hmm. that there's a kind of permeability that your ancestors are always with you and your future ancestors are always with you. And so there is a great kind of um, kind of meta thing that is happening within the course of the story where there's uh, where you're touching very much in the past and very much where are we going in this ever transforming uh, kind of uh, uh, world that we're experiencing. Well, I believe your ancestors are always with you because I can always hear my grandmother saying, sit up straight. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, let me just ask you one last thing. When it came to the food uh, or the discussion of food or, or having food as a part of the- More than a prop. The, the more than a prop. Who did you guys use for that? How did you How did you do that? Well, the, you know, uh, the- Nolan's such a um, meticulous artist, which is part of what is so great about working with him, not only in his music, but uh, digging into the, like working with historians, working with uh, Carla Hall, Chef Carla mm. Hall, who's our food ambassador. An old friend of the show. She yeah. is a good friend of the show. Yeah. We yes, love her. We just, you know, it's like to have those um, extraordinary women in this conversation and continuing to uh, bring their deep knowledge about the work. Uh, Nicole Salter herself, a brilliant writer, mm -hmm. like these are the ways that we just dig in deeper and things get uh, un, uh, uh, revealed and illuminated because of their extraordinary knowledge base, just like Nolan's knowledge base. And our designers are, are again, just, just world-class uh, uh, artists who, again, once you get all of those people in the room, you just start to have something that is bigger than all of us. Uh, and you really know, hey, this is a vessel to tell this narrative. And it's pretty extraordinary, if I oh. say so myself, and can't really take full ownership, although we know we're all making a contribution. It's really it sounds, exciting. It well, sounds it like it's got to be seen. Let's okay, so Grace at Ford's Theater, March 19th to March 14th. To, um, to March 14th. Uh, May 14th. Sorry, March 14th to May. Uh, March 19th. Sorry, to May 14th. That's easy for you to say. I guess so. Uh, <laughs> Robert Barry Fleming, thank you so Wait. much for joining us today. What? All you have to do is go to Fords.org for tickets. Yes, I want to make right. sure people know. That's we'll it. be there. We can't wait to All see All right, man. That was great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, Elaine. Elaine. That was super smooth. Tell us a little bit, like, what does blended Irish whiskey mean? So blended Irish whiskey is um, it's the sort of the most traditional form of Irish whiskey, I would say. Um, so it's mm -hmm. a mix of malt and grains. Mm -hmm. um, traditionally, it would be about 10 percent or less malt. But as I mentioned before, what makes Grace O'Malley one of the things, one of the very many things that makes it special is that we've got 46% malt content in there, which is very, very high. Mm -hmm. um, also traditionally Irish whiskey is triple distilled, um, but 40, about 46% malt in the whiskey is actually double distilled. Well, so you get much more of that characteristic characteristic of the malt coming through. 
Uh, mm. Well, you know, I wish it's a shame we don't have Paul Karras, your master blender, on, too, because my question is, do you, I mean, how do you get to these blends? Does he just sit around and experiment all day and then have someone drive him home? He's like a mad scientist. I mean, how does it work? Right? Because I mean, you're not far off. Well, I mean, when you say it's 46% malt. A, a lot of nosing and tasting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, you know, it's it's such an, a long technique as well to, to age for three years. Uh, minimum, absolute minimum, three years to be an Irish whiskey. He's a patient man. So, you know, you've got to be patient, yeah. <laughs> okay, what are we tasting next? Um, Let's mix it up and let's go for gin. Let's have the Grace O'Malley gin. We have it okay, right here. so is gin really big right now in Ireland? Gin is really big all Everywhere. over the world. <laughs> all over the world. Send some gin yes. to Moscow, yes. for God's okay, sake. Stop. <laughs> Um, okay. Is it big in America at the moment? Yes, gin is huge in America. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, there's Excellent. a lot of gin. Good. Okay, we're gonna come oh, back to you. Good. We'll come back to Ooh. you and we'll talk about the gin. Great. All right, but now if I can still Enjoy. talk. Yeah, we're okay. gonna go to Fairfax City. We're gonna take a little little trip outside. All of right, LA. Kathleen Paley's with us. She chairs the Fairfax City Economic Development Authority, which mm -hmm. is a way of saying they're the ones that look to drive more and new and better business into the city of Fairfax. Uh, and you've done a good job because you have a great lineup of restaurants. First of all, welcome. Well, Tell us a little bit about Restaurant Week. No, let's not start with Let's not week. do that. Don't listen let's to Let's do him. something start else. Start with me. Let's talk about Fairfax City and sort of give people an idea of where it is and sort of give them the feel of the area. Because, you know, a lot of people have, uh, you know, they think of like places like Rockville Pike or you think about like large expanses of Virginia that is just like, you know, uh, strip mall after strip mall after strip mall, but Fairfax City is a real, like, town, and it has a, a real... You say that with such amazement. Well, I do, because there's not a lot of that. Am I wrong? I mean, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, Fairfax City is an adorable town mm -hmm. with a real downtown and, you know... It, cute buildings painted bright colors and wonderful restaurants we are located within fairfax county i think that can be a little confusing to people right. sometimes that fairfax city is within fairfax county and just adjacent to george mason university so we're really a university town george mason has grown so much in the last couple decades mm -hmm. and so we've got a college presence and all of these wonderful, diverse small businesses that make the economic environment just really fun and interesting. Okay, so we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out about some of those really interesting things that are there. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We're taking a little day trip out to Fairfax City. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast. Uh, we're speaking with Kathleen Paley about, uh, well, we're speaking about more than just restaurant week in Fairfax City. And I just want to say for the record, having had an office in Northern Virginia for 22 years, that I know Fairfax City. You talk about Fairfax City like it's on Mars. Well, you never took me to Fairfax City. Why should I? I went I mean, myself. I'm just saying. I just went by myself. Okay, well. Um, but yeah, with the university there, it has a special, I mean, I think there are 30,000 undergrad and graduate students now associated with uh, George Mason. Um, and it's got that college town feeling. It's very intimate and all of that. But you've got restaurants out there that the I think the, the, the broader swath of the D.C. area is unaware of that are mm -hmm. terrific restaurants. Well, it's super diverse. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so the the city is small. Mm -hmm. you know, we're six square miles, but we have this amazing diversity of restaurants coming from, well, we have, you know, women-owned restaurants, minority-owned restaurants, and cuisines from really all over the world. Mm. So, you know, Restaurant Week this year, um, it's starting on March 7th, so Monday. it's starting very soon. Uh -huh. uh, we're running two restaurant weeks, but the some of the restaurants that are included, um, there's, there's one, you know, it's called Baku Delicious. It's Azerbaijani food. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, how often do you find Azerbaijani food? I mean, so even got in D.C., I just have to interrupt. I mean, even in D.C., which is known for incredibly diverse kitchens, I don't think we have that. Yeah, I mean, Azerbaijani food is just this fantastically interesting mix of flavors that we just, yeah, we just don't find a lot mm -hmm. um, elsewhere. There's also, I have to say, I have to brag on Baku Delicious a little bit. They have an extremely talented pastry chef. Mm. So they have a full bakery and grocery store that has these 
delicious, delicate, gorgeous pastries. We actually get our family birthday cakes from there because it's it's amazing. Cool. We have to take. We have to go back. I All was right. there a couple of weeks ago, but now I have to go. So, back and out. Elaine will be happy to know you have an Irish restaurant out there called the. Yeah. Oh, I can't even pronounce it right. The Al Shabin. The Al Shabin. Yeah, it is. It is a sort of standard <laughs> um, in Fairfax City. It's right on one of the main corners. They have live music. They have Irish food. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of parties thrown there. It's just a lovely, warm, happy place. Okay. Well, so let's get into restaurant week a little bit now um you guys had done it a couple years ago i mean and then we had a pandemic so how did you how did you and your role sort of decide how you guys wanted to move forward with this and given all the struggles that restaurants and small retail have had over the last two years it's like two years like right now almost um how did you guys help with support what was sort of provided for everybody yeah i mean next Next week marks two years I know, since right? all of this nonsense started. Uh, so we decided that we wanted Restaurant Week to keep going. I mean, the restaurants that we have in Fairfax City are some of the core small locally owned businesses. Those were the ones you know that were struggling the most early in the pandemic. So we with at the EDA, Economic Development Authority, decided that we wanted to, uh, one, encourage outdoor dining, which mm-hmm. a lot of folks were doing. Uh, we had programs to help with, you know, heats. We had a, a blanket um, giveaway where if you ate outdoors, um, you were able to get this lovely um, blanket to help keep you warm if it was in the colder months. Mm-hmm. And we just, we, we worked with the restaurants to help them also go beyond the standard uh, restaurant week, you know, prefix for $35 and develop some alternative deals that could be sort of grab and go you know, a two for $10 on some, you know, pour over coffees and cupcakes and things like that. So that even if folks didn't want to eat outside for a full meal, they could explore the city's restaurants um, in a more sort of light touch way. Well, I think what you did was really smart because you want everybody involved, right? So not all the restaurants, I think one of the issues people in the industry have seen with restaurant weeks in general is that some restaurants are like, yeah, that's not what my costs are. Like it wouldn't make, I would love to participate, but $35 is more than what people, I'm trying to force it to make it happen. So finding interesting ways that smaller purveyors who maybe don't do meals like coffee shops or things like that, people can participate makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah. And we have the traditional, you know, $20 lunch or brunch prefix and the $35 dinner, but they also, we've come up, we've worked with restaurants to come up with couples options Hmm. that might be, you know, for two at a lower price point, family meal options where it's, you know, for four or six um, and hitting under that $35 per person because it's just a different kind of restaurant, a little more casual. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, the, the two for 10 grab and go type things are a great opportunity to try a lot of options. Well, I guess I'm going to have to break down and take Nikki to Fairfax. <laughs> you might have to. Might have. <laughs> um, just tell us quickly, like other than, I mean, you told us about Baku Delicious, which sounds amazing. Let's sort of give some attention to some of the other restaurants that you think people may not be familiar with or know about. Sure. Yeah. Um, there is a restaurant called Epicure Cafe, mm-hmm. which is just quirky, interesting, fantastic. It is mostly Persian food. They also mm. have a lot of vegan options. Mm-hmm. So uh, Persian food with a ton of things that just sort of happen to be vegan. Mm-hmm. They have live music um, and they have a rooftop for the warmer weather. I actually just had dinner there with my family last night. We listened to this um this big band, 17-piece group um, playing original compositions. and That must be a big like, roof. It, it, was, it was crowded, but it was, it was intimate and fun, and oh. it was um, a great place to you know, take kids to encourage an interest in interesting food and music. They right. have local artists come in. They have their art hanging on the walls. Uh, it's another one of those things that you just you're not going to find on every corner and in every strip mall. Well, mm-hmm. what is I'm I'm fascinated by Earp's Ordinary. Is that Wyatt Earp uh, or some other Earp, or is that a noise I, you make after a good meal, like Earp? I sorry to interrupt. I guess I'm just too enthusiastic. Okay, Earp's Ordinary. We have okay. 
So Herbs Ordinary is right now in a temporary pop-up location while they finish their final build-out. Okay. It is going to be a, actually a very large live music venue oh, cool. that focuses on craft cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're really good stuff. Cra- so fantastic cocktails. They also have sort of new twists on comfort food. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, just the course of the pandemic may get in their build-out, their final big build-out. Uh, slowed down, but they have a pop-up location right now mm-hmm. in the center of downtown Fairfax, and you can go in, grab a table, have a couple of drinks, have some some interesting little nibbles um, or a full meal, mm-hmm. and listen to a really diverse array of live music. Well, let's okay, make sure wait, they wait, know wait, about owners wait, of herbs are just wait. Just hold on people. a second. So, how much live music is there in Fairfax City? Because I feel like every place you've mentioned has live music. Is it like an evening? Is it just like it's a college? Town. Is it just like music everywhere? I should have said the old Shabine has live music too. Oh, right. Yeah, there's there is a surprising amount of live music. I That's mean, cool. I really think of Fairfax City as becoming kind of a a destination for dining and culture, and that would include music and the arts more broadly. Excellent. All right, we have to wrap up. I just want to say one thing. You should make sure the people at Herbs know about Grace O'Malley gin and whiskey. Yeah, Irish whiskey. duh. <laughs> look, look, Elaine's nodding. Yeah. All the way over in Dublin. Elaine is nodding. All, All right. the way over in Dublin. All right, uh, so tell everybody, please. I mean, obviously, we have everything on the list, areyouonit.com. Um, I am one of the spokespeople for this, which was so exciting. I got to film some fun stuff. Tell everybody, please, where uh, we can find all the restaurants and all the information uh, on Restaurant Week this week. All of the details are available on our website, fairfaxcityrestaurantweek.com, mm-hmm. and also on our Instagram account, which is at Fairfax City Restaurant Week. So. Definitely check it out. Lots of great options. And we'll be coming back for a second restaurant week in the summer, too. Excellent. Kathleen, thanks so much for joining us this morning. All right. Now we're going to talk. Thanks for having me. One of our favorite subjects. During the lockdown. No, we're not. We're not. We're not? No, we're going back to Elaine. Oh, we're going back to Elaine. Well, that's one of my other favorite subjects. So we can talk about more. I tell you this. This gin is as smooth as silk. Well, let's talk about gin and how you got, why you entered the gin market. Um, so gin, obviously it's, it's a really, um, popular, uh, spirit at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, it's a really interesting spirit because, you know, the only rule really with it is, well, the main rule is that it has to taste of juniper, but after that you can play around with flavors. Mm-hmm. So it was a really lovely opportunity to play with some Irish, um, herbs and spices and, um, botanicals. Um, mm. So yeah, but a lot us, of gins. It's, it's just to really... pardon me to jump in. A lot of gins are so juniper heavy that you can't taste anything else. This is not, which is why I, it appeals to me. Absolutely, this is um, a very floral uh, mm-hmm. uh, por- uh, profile flavor, um, and that comes very much from the botanicals that we've chosen to go in there, um, and it really represents a lot. Irish flavor. So you've got, you know, blackthorn in there, red clover, um, there's wild thyme, there's bilberries, which are the European um, blueberry would mm-hmm. be the most similar thing. Um, and then we've got heather in there, which is full of luck in Ireland. Uh-huh. You know, so we've really gone, we, we can really showcase all these beautiful things that have so much flavor. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what the gin represents. And you know, there's 14 botanicals in there, so there's that complexity as well, which kind of leads back to Grace O'Malley and and celebrating this complex woman with all these different facets. Um, what are we drinking next? You are going to drink proclamation whiskey. Mm-hmm. Okay with me. Okay, we're going <laughs> to pour that, and then we're going to come back to you. But before we go to our next guest, we're going to take a break. This is David and Nikki Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. We're talking about murder. We'll be back in a sec. Murder. Murder. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we are, we're talking murder. Kiara Sunderecker is, she's a lover of all things true crime, according to her, and a boozy beverages, but she also happens to be an associate editor at U- Ulysses Press, and I have a feeling she got tired of reading everybody else's 
manuscripts and said, I'm going to write me a good book about murder and okay, cocktails. Can we back up a second? <laughs> First of all, as we discussed earlier, we are coming up to the two-year anniversary, I guess you would call it, of when everything shut down from COVID and everybody sort of snuggled in and watched a lot of true crime, right? Like it was insane. It was like it was like they were building them up just so we could just binge well, watch. Well, some of us actually thought about murder during that <laughs> yeah, time. That's also true. <laughs> Maybe saying. some things happened during the pandemic. First you play, you bet your marriage, <laughs> and then you say, how can I kill her and hide the body? Okay, I so uh, <laughs> Kiara, tell us a little bit about yourself and your love of true crime. Yeah, so um, I am an associate editor at Ulysses Press, and mm-hmm. so that that my job kind of is what led me to making this book. Um, I have always been a huge fan of true crime. I can't even really pinpoint when it started, but I have, I really got into podcasts first Mm -hmm. and then obviously went to documentaries. I too did watch a ton of true crime documentaries during the pandemic. I still watch them. Um, You can't, they're hard to turn off. I mean, once you're sucked in, you're like, I gotta know what happened. I mean, I I need to know. The brother-in-law did it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that yeah, my love of true crime and then this opportunity to write a cocktail book and combine both of those, it really was just like two of my, you know, two things I really enjoyed. And so having the opportunity to combine them was just really, it was a really fun experience. Well, actually you bring up a good point because not only were a lot of people watching true crime, I mean, we were all listening to true crime, I think on podcasts pre pandemic, and then they caught up and we started watching all the shows, but a lot of people began experimenting more with their cocktails and really getting into mixology, especially during the pandemic, where you're ordering more from restaurants, get bringing in batch drinks, and people wanted to learn how to do it on their own. So mm-hmm. were you already sort of a cocktail aficionado or was this a, a new journey for you? This was definitely a new journey for me. I am someone who loves cocktails, love, I love getting a drink and stuff like that, but I never really de- like dove into creating cocktails on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this book, I really didn't want to go too crazy into like trying to, you know, make up my own cocktails and experiment and stuff like that, because I just didn't have that like mixologist bartender experience. And mm-hmm. so I really wanted to focus on the basics just for myself. Um, And so that's kind of why I decided to do like more classic cocktails paired with like classic true crime stories. Mm -hmm. I really just wanted to like go to the basics. And so this was really me like, you know, learning how to make my own simple syrup and like learning about all the different types of like flavors. Like you guys were talking about gin, like in gin, something I hadn't really personally had an experience with. So it was really just a lot of like trial and error for me. You should be on the show. Um, You'd have some. (laughs) I know, right? It's very sad. So so before we get into some of the cocktails and how you paired them with the murderers uh, and the murders in general, uh, how, what was your education? Like, how did you educate your palate? How did you decide, oh, this is a gin I like because it's more floral than juniper, or this is you know, a vodka that doesn't really lend itself to anything. So it just blends in versus the vodkas that have more flavor. How did you educate yourself on that other than a lot of drinking? Because I assume there's a lot of drinking. (laughs) Yes, there was. Um, I really did a lot of research online. I'm not going to lie. I just was like looking up different recipes, variations of recipes. It was definitely a lot of um, a little more spending on alcohol than I usually do just mm-hmm. so I can like test and try a bunch of things. Um, but that's all for yeah, research. It was, it's all for research. Exactly. Exactly. It was very important. It was vital to the book. So right? um, yeah, it was really just a lot of, uh, you know, trial and error and me like picking different brands that I had like either never had experience with or like, you know, I've heard about but didn't really had never tried them. Mm-hmm. Um, so being on like the other side of the like bar in the like cocktail scene was definitely um it was definitely it was very interesting i now own you know so much more liquor than i ever thought i you would you should see our um, bar <laughs> um so tell us how you went about looking at the co- like seeing a cocktail name and pairing it with a murder or a murderer yeah i really tried to like when I was starting out with the book, I really tried to find um, specifics of the cocktails that might pair well. So like um, either with the, if it was in like with the name or like the origin of the cocktail or something like that. So like, for example, one of my one of my favorite cocktails is like the Whitechapel Ladies, mm-hmm. which is just a little spoof off of a white lady cocktail. 
Um, and so, but I did that because that kind of fit, the name fit very well with like the story of Jack the Ripper because it right. took place in Whitechapel and everything like that. So some of them were like kind of easier connections like that. Uh -huh. um, and then some of them were like more like the cocktail for um, John Wayne Gacy. Um, that one is a straw, it has strawberry in it. And John Wayne Gacy is like last meal. It was very, very weird. He ordered like a pound of fresh strawberries. And oh, so right. like, if I could like find weird connections like so that. So you want to do a lot of um, research. This yeah. is not just the yeah. drinks, Can but I just, all the murders. Can I just jump in with one? Because um, yeah. I didn't see this when I was flipping through the book last time, the Milwaukee Corpse Reviver, which is great. But the yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer drilled holes in the tops of his victims' heads and poured hydrochloric yeah. acid in to turn them into zombie sex slaves. I mean, yeah, he he did. Oh my um, God! Very disturbing. Well, we just got yeah, really dark, was... really Whoa. fast. <laughs> yeah, that one's like Drink not up. the most pleasant um, story, right? But yeah. So I want to ask so, the two things: the 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 murder mystery that you are most absorbed with is. Ooh. Mm, okay. I, I so think I probably... know. Probably. One of the ones I really, yeah, it's the John Bonet Ramsey yep. case. I just, I just gotta really know. need a definitive answer. Gotta know who did <laughs> we gotta it. Right. Know. We're never gonna know. We're I never know. gonna know. Isn't that crazy? It's really upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> it is really upsetting. I think it's the brother. But um, I, I do too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And what, what was your favorite cocktail that you discovered and you put in the book? What was like a cocktail you had where you were like, how yummy this is. Ooh, I think. Hmm. Well, I did mention the Whitechapel Ladies one. Right. That was one I was I really enjoyed just because I had not been a huge fan of like gin before mm. um, making this book, but I kind of like getting to try all the different ones. That was one of the ones I really enjoyed. Um, that featured gin. Um, and then I think I'm trying you, to think. Can you tell me about Helter Skelter Sangria? Yes. Okay. So that well, was just, I just want to tell you, you just made Andy laugh. San my producer, who never laughs at anything. There was sangria all over the walls. Right. <laughs> for that one, I really wanted to do a sangria for the story of um, the Manson family, just because I feel like sangria is something that you, at least in my experience, like usually share. Um, oh, and right. <laughs> so I just think I thought it paired very well with like a cult story. Mm -hmm. um, and so. That one was really fun. I had, I did have a little bit of experience making sangria before this. That was something that my family makes all the time. So that was a nice, easy one for me to do. Um, but it really just gave me the feeling of like, you know, sharing everyone's like together and everything. And so with the Manson family, kind of a morbid turn on that was they were, you know, together planning kind of, you know, horrible murders, things like that. But um, yeah. So all right. This is a cute book. Kira, this is mixology a book. and murder. <laughs> Tell us where we can find you on Instagram and where we can find this online. Yeah, so you can find it. You can find the book anywhere, um, really where books are sold. So like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, mm -hmm. um, IndieBound. It's in... Um, and where can million, we find you? Like where can we find you? My Instagram is at Kiera, K-I-E-R-R-A underscore Bryn, B-R-Y-N-N-E. Great. So. All right, Kira, yeah. thank you so much. Great book. We really enjoyed yeah. having you today. Thanks thank so much. Thank you. All right, Elaine, we're rounding out the show with you. Okay, so what is Proclamation? You have two blended Irish whiskeys. We had the Grace O'Malley Irish Pirate Queen original initially, Oof. but now we are drinking Proclamation. And it has a kick. It's mm -mm -mm. yummy. I think it's sweet. <laughs> I think it's got a little sugar on the back end. I like it. So, yeah, so you're looking at a much more traditional style of Irish whiskey here. Mm -hmm. So, as I said earlier, you're looking at, um, so we're back to about 10% of um, malt in there. Um, yeah, you'll find with that, you'll find um, sort of a flavor of, there'll be a little bit of pear in there. Personally, I get a tiny bit of chocolate on the on the mouth, mm. um, but also with, with a lot of fruits in there. Um, yeah, it, it, we created this to celebrate sort of the independent spirit of Ireland. Mm -hmm. You know, you know how we are. Where you find us everywhere, all over the world. We we go off to our own thing and arrive on your doorstep. So right. um, <laughs> we're sort of celebrating that um, that sort of uh, um, yeah, the independent spirit we have. Okay, well, um, in that I'm, vein, 
before we wrap up with you, can you quickly tell us a story about how Grace O'Malley met the Queen? Yes, indeed. Um, so Grace discovered that her her sons had been imprisoned by um, the Queen's agent in Ireland. And so she tucked to her boat and sailed across to London and sailed up the Thames at a time when which was a very dangerous place to sail if you were if you were a pirate uh -huh. um and yeah arrived at the queen's summer residence in greenwich and they had a they had a face-to-face -face meeting but they both so spoke different letters, languages is... right yes so um the queen obviously would have spoken english and probably german and grace would have spoken irish and uh, most likely french but they both spoke latin wait what year was so this she was a very educated woman what year was this sorry this was so she was in her 60s so let me do my math here no, no, 15 so what like 15 around about 1590 1593 so this is elizabeth yeah isn't that an amazing story wow yeah okay elizabeth the first That's elaine cool, tell us please where we can find grace o'malley online and on instagram okay so you'll find grace o'malley obviously um you will find her well the drink at um graceomalleywhiskey.com mm -hmm. uh, you'll find proclamation at proclamation.com um, and then Instagram and Facebook it's at graceomalleyspirits and on Twitter it's at gomspirits excellent thank you so much for joining us today we really really appreciate thank it you. and the spirits are fabulous and we want to thank all of you for joining us today on Foodie and the Beast again if you want to know what's going on in the DC metro area go to the list are you on it.com the online e-zine that tells you everything that's happening events restaurant openings uh, and especially everything uh, that's going on with Ukraine right now there are so many people doing fundraisers so if you can help Please do. Of course, you can find your own charities, but uh, I love that the D.C. restaurant community digs in to help. Uh, of course, you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want a deeper dive on Grace O'Malley Spirits, I did speak with uh, Paul Karras, their um Master, master mixer. Blender. He's a master uh, blender. He's a master blender on Industry Night, which is on Real Fun DC. So you can check that out on the list or you want it.com as well. So we want to thank all of you for joining us today. Masks are off, but you still have to be careful out there. Take your kindness pill anyway, because don't talk. Because <laughs> uh, there are still staffing shortages, there are supply shortages. It's not easy out there. So everybody just be kind, be safe, and have a delicious week.